Would you take your Bible, please, to Hebrews chapter 2? If you have it with you, it's good for us to open and see its truth, to feed on its bread. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 2 and the first verse. The word of the Lord reveals to us, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Would he add his blessing to its reading? You can be seated Children, you can be dismissed to Children's Church. The book of Hebrews has in it five stark warnings. They are startling. What I just read is the first of the five. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Be warned. They are the same warning, delivered in five various ways. I would summarize the warnings this way. Do not depart from the faith. Do not be tempted to return to lesser hopes and depart from Christ Jesus, the Messiah. One of the warnings is going to come out in Hebrews chapter 6, the first eight verses. It starts this way in verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. Let's leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and let's grow up. That's the statement that precedes the warning about falling away and being lost. So as with our text today, a maturing attention to the gospel particulars is important to perseverance of faith. Let me say that again. In these texts, we're reminded that our paying close attention to the particular details of the gospel is imperative to our staying Christians. I'm going to say it that way because I hope it gets your attention. Paying close and maturing attention to the details of the gospel. Now, this is a section in my sermon called the need statement. That's what I just read. This is the need statement. This is why I think I should preach this to you. It's what I think we need to hear. I'm going to prove it. 
as I thought about my elder-led prayer. I thought, how should I pastorally pray for Israel? The very fact that I had that question indicates that there was a particular of the gospel that I wasn't immediately mindful of. So, I'm reminded this morning as I read Hebrews 1, or 2, verse 1, give more attention to the particulars of the gospel. That's the title for my sermon is pay close attention. That should probably be a title to every sermon. Pay attention, please. The reader of Hebrews 2 is exhorted in this first of these five warnings, pay close attention to the gospel proclaimed so that you don't drift away. Drift away. There's a word picture. The words are beautiful. Drifting away. The word picture would be like a ring slipping off your finger. Be careful that the ring doesn't slip off your finger. Drift away. How many of you have had a ring fall off your hand and be lost? Anybody in the room ever had that happen? Good friend of mine just told me, you, you've had that happen. Good friend of mine just told me that he was driving. He, he's a farmer, and so he had bought uh, kind of a, one of those silicone rings so it wouldn't tear his finger off when it got caught on something. And he, was, he just bought one. He'd put his gold ring in a, in a storage, and, and he was driving with his, car, his hand out the car window, and all of a sudden, this new silicone ring was gone. It had drifted away. That's the word picture. Be careful. I would say to you, brothers and sisters, friends, church, you have to be careful. You have to pay close attention to the details. Or you become prey, vulnerable, to slip away. The word in the beginning of verse 1 is therefore. This tells us chapter 2 should be studied in light of chapter 1. Since Jesus, as we read in chapter 1, is the divine son, the Davidic king, and is greater than angels, and since he has cleansed from sin and now seated at the right hand of God, therefore, don't drift away. Drifting away. And you can see a boat. You can see a boat, and maybe you pull the boat up to the dock, and you don't tether the boat to the dock. You don't drop an anchor. You think, yeah, but I'm just going to run up there, grab something, I'll be right back. I don't need to tie it all up. It'll be fine. And you run up there, and you grab something, you come back out. Ah, the boat drifted away. What had to, be hap- what had to happen for the boat to drift away? Nothing. What had to happen for the boat to stay anchored to its moorings? Something. Nothing had to happen for drifting away. That's the point. There is this passive, accidental oversight that leads to calamity. That's the warning. That's the nature of the warning. You might not think it's a big problem, but if you just forget to pay attention to the details of the message you've received, you might find yourself drifted away. C.S. Lewis was perceptive when he wrote this about this issue of drifting away. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in our life. 
those things you're most passionate about don't stay passions without somebody saying, aren't you passionate about this? Resume quote. It must be fed. As a matter of fact, if we were to examine a hundred people who have lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it through argument, or how many of them would have simply drifted away. Take, for example, most recently in our country's context. We know statistically that something like 15% of all churchgoers prior to the year 2020 and the COVID epidemic never returned to church. Now, no one in that season went to those people and said, do you really think this is plausible? I mean, a man in Jerusalem in the first century dies for you and you think somehow you're safe in that? I don't, I don't think a lot of that 15% had to endure that debate, but instead just comfortably became indifferent. Drifted away. In the matter of our ongoing belief, Christianity's perseverance requires our attention. We read things in the New Testament like, I press on, I follow after, I strive for, I fight the good fight. Therefore, as we get to these four verses, we will read an argument from the lesser concern to the greater assurance. Lesser concern, greater assurance. The lesser message, which is concerning, is that there is a message that had been delivered to us by angels. Have you heard what the angels have said? That's the first part of the warning. The second part is, but have you heard what is first delivered by our Lord? Okay, so lesser, angels said it, greater, delivered first by our Lord. These two things have been said to us. If they are true, then any departure from Christ would be damnation. Okay, let me pray. Father, please lead us by your spirit. Our Lord has sent this teacher to instruct us. And Hebrews is, is not an exercise that can be done by human comprehension or insight. And so, Lord, we depend on you to teach us. We pray that as your word is preached, that we would end this morning being more confident, more convinced by the particulars of the message of Jesus Christ that he is our only hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so these two messages, two messages. One, I want you to hear the message declared by angels. What have angels said? Look at verse 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. That, that's important. Whatever it is that angels said, it was true. And therefore, because of its truth, every transgression or disobedience of whatever it was they said is receiving a just retribution. How shall we escape that just retribution if we neglect such a great salvation? There is this lesser argument. There is a message that has come to us by 
angels. What is the message that came to us by angels? Five days ago, I didn't know. I thought, what? That's a weird sentence. The message declared. Maybe you're sitting here and you go, you didn't know this, Pastor? I knew this. I would win Bible trivia. I didn't know. What is the message delivered by angels? And then I had to, I had to read other people explaining, what was the message delivered by angels? You know what it is? It's the law of Moses. It's the law of Moses. What? Seems interesting. Didn't Moses get that on the top of Mount Sinai from God? Okay, listen to the cross-references. Acts chapter 7 says, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute and kill as they announced the coming of the Messiah? You received the law delivered by angels, but didn't keep it. Hmm. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, a book very intent on showing the difference between the law and the grace of the good news of Jesus. Galatians 3, 19 says, Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, the law was put in place through angels. This explains how chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, starts with the word therefore. Because chapter 1 was a lot about the comparison of the Messiah, the Christ, to angels. So the angels brought us the law. The angels delivered and spoke. They heralded, do the will of God, or receive just retribution. See, the Hebrew Christians aren't just tempted to say, I think we should run and worship angels. They were most tempted to return to what angels said, which was the law. Angels spoke, your God is holy. Do his will or be punished. So the writer of Hebrews says, pay attention to it because the message they spoke, listen, the angels didn't come lying. They were, they were right. The message proved reliable. Pay attention to what they said because it proved to be reliable. The message of the law. I can't look at the law and find something. I'm like, nope, that was a mistake. Somebody wrote that down wrong. The message of the law is right. It is true. Do this and I'll bless. Don't do this and I'll punish. It's pretty simple, honestly. But what is the message of the gospel? What did angels teach and declare to us? Well, Romans 3.21 says this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law bears witness to it. That is the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ. So you need to understand that at its center, the message of the law is the Christ. Paul says this very clearly. Paul says, I wouldn't have known I needed the Christ had it not been for the law. Because the law was that tutor that points the apostle to Christ. The law is meant to point to that final definitive word that we talked about earlier in chapter 1, Christ. So here comes the message conveyed by angels. The message proved reliable. It's not false teaching. The law is true. It's reliable. It's dependable. Therefore, it's legally binding. The law is legally binding on its hearers. Those who violate the covenant stipulations received a just retribution. (sighs) 
There are certain things that are hard for us to relate to, aren't there? There was a brief moment in my life when my dad was planting a church in the middle of nowhere in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, literally middle of nowhere. The only cars we ever saw come near our house were traveling past our house to the community, the county dump, where the bears were everywhere. There were bears everywhere. And we knew if someone was going down the road that was about a mile from our, uh, half a mile from our house, we knew if somebody was driving down that road, they were going to watch bears. It was the only reason somebody came to where we lived. And so my dad started a church there. Okay. <laughs> Preaching the gospel where no one else has preached it, right? And we lived in this place. We lived in a hunting cabin. And our hunting cabin did not have running water. We had an artesian well. Anybody ever see an artesian well or drink anything from an artesian well? An artesian well, we had an artesian well. It was about from, uh, about from here to the back of the room from the front door of our cabin. And one of my jobs was to go to that well with a bucket and fill it with water and carry it back. And I know, I see it on your faces. You're thinking, you're lying. You're not that old. And I'm just telling you, this happened in my childhood, and it's so bizarre. But we don't often relate to not having running water, indoor plumbing, do we? we? Like when we hear about a developing country and we hear, well, yeah, but they don't have water, they have to go over here. What? I can't relate to that. There are some things, too, in our Christian confession that we struggle to relate to. We struggle to relate to the fact that there is a group of people called out by God's name who are disobedient to him and suffering for it because that's not our experience. We, who are in Christ, are a group of people called out by God's name, often disobedience, and not suffering for it. And so we read this text and we go, oh, it proved reliable, and there is just punishment for those who violate that message that came. And we think, well, no, because God is gracious, and that, that wouldn't happen. And so we struggle. We struggle to read Scripture because we read it through the lens of our own experience, rather than through its revealed truth. Listen as I read from Leviticus 26. God says this to Israel, the people who received the message from angels. God says this. If you will not listen to me, I will not do these commandments. If you spurn my statutes, if your soul abhors my rule, so that you will not do my commandments, but break the covenant, then I will do this. I've made a covenant. If you do what I say, then good. But if you don't do what I say, if you don't be a theocracy, a people ruled by God, then I will do this. <clears throat> I will visit you with panic, disease, and famine. Then at the end of that sentence... Leviticus says, I will multiply it seven times. So at the end of each of these statements, there's a statement that says, I will multiply it seven times. I will multiply it seven times. I will visit you with panic, disease, and famine, times seven. I will set my face against you, and those who hate you will rule you, times seven. Beasts will consume you and bereave you of your children, times seven. I will bring a sword on you that will execute vengeance for my covenant, times seven. I will devastate your land so that your enemies settle in it, times seven. I know that we struggle to comprehend that because it's not our experience with God. But there's one eternal difference 
the blood of Christ. But, this isn't the end, if you confess the iniquity that you're committing against me, if you are walking contrary to me, if your uncircumcised heart is just humbled, then I'll remember my covenant with Jacob, I'll remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. That's what comes from hearing the law or the message from angels and not doing it. That. They were in danger of going back to that. (laughs) Slipping away from the truth. And the author of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If, then. If you go back, then how would you be saved? Because Leviticus 26 is not a description of how to be saved, but what happens to you if you are not in his salvation. If the word spoken by angels was sure, and it was, and if those who violated it received just punishment, then how will you be saved? If you, how will you escape judgment if you neglect such great salvation? So he makes that statement. Halfway through three, or the beginning of three, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Great salvation. It is great. It is the final word. It's the definitive punctuation for anyone needing hope. Great salvation in Christ. It's completed by our kinsman redeemer, who made purification for sin. And it is currently secured and kept forever by our Redeemer who is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a great salvation. And if you neglect that, how could you be saved? The message that came in the law? Beasts will come and bereave you of your children? That's your hope? Your enemy will come with the sword. They'll settle in your land. That, that's the warning. That's the nature. And we think, that that doesn't even make sense. Like, why would anyone think that? That's the nature of a warning. Like, child, don't touch the hot stove. Child, don't play in the road. Don't neglect such a great salvation. How will you escape? You won't. Those who neglect such a great salvation will face judgment. Israel is suffering. Israel is judged and persecuted even now in her sin. But that's not all this verse is saying. Those who ultimately reject such a great salvation that comes in Christ the Messiah will receive greater punishment than anything we've ever seen in the history of Israel. They will receive punishment from which there is no rescue. 
Listen to Hebrews 12. You must not refuse Christ. For if they did not escape when they refused Christ, who warned them on earth, much less will you escape if you reject him who warned you from heaven. So we know, we know in Hebrews 12, there's a heaven and earth difference. There's a life and eternity difference. What we see happening to a disobedient people is tragic. But it is tragic in this life. If we neglect such a great salvation, the punishment is eternal. And it is the fire of hell. How will you escape if you neglect such a great salvation? This is the message that came from angels. It's the lesser, and it's negative. Do you feel it's negative? I feel it's negative. It's tragic. I'm sad just saying it. There's more to this text, this paragraph. There's positive. So we go on to the second point. Here's the warning. Heed the message declared first by the Lord. Pay close attention to what you heard first by the Lord. The second message, the greater truth, the positive. It was declared at first by the Lord, verse 3, B. It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders, various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So what we have here is four supporting statements about the message we first heard from the Lord, okay? First, this message has come from where? The Lord. This is Jesus himself. He is, after all, the final word. So when people, when creatures of the dust, when we said, what is our hope? Maybe we heard words like, Adam. Uh, the law <laughs> belong to my covenant people Israel. Okay, what is our hope? And then God says, I have one more word. The Christ, Jesus. This message comes, the last word, Jesus himself. Jesus Christ has revealed finally and definitively who God is. Secondly, so listen to the word, Jesus. See the testimony that he lived before us. Hear his message that he preached among us. B, not only was the word spoken personally by the Lord himself in history, <clears throat> this message, this better word, is confirmed by eyewitnesses. And it is, isn't it? They heard and they saw Jesus. In these verses, legal language seems very important. I mean, after all, we're talking about how will we escape hell? How will we escape wrath? So legal language gets really important. Like, like before when it says, this, this is it's proved true. This is a truth. It's just punishment if you break the message, if you violate the law. So legal language gets really important in these verses. If believers are going to stake their lives on the gospel, the message of Jesus, they need to be assured of its truthfulness and reliability. 
The word spoken through angels is legally binding. The word spoken through Jesus is testified by people who heard him speak and witnessed his resurrection. The message of Jesus has been supported by witnesses. See, he says, this message has not only come to us first from the Lord as he spoke it, not only been confirmed by eyewitnesses, but see, God bore witness to its truth, its validity, by signs, wonders, and various miracles. And certainly he did. <clears throat> I thought about those wonders that make it easier for us to believe the authority of Jesus Christ, the divinity of Jesus Christ. And sometimes God does that, doesn't he? He, he grows or assures our faith by evidence, sometimes. I mean, we know that faith is the substance of things hoped for but not yet seen. So faith doesn't come from seeing. However, I'm thankful that in my struggle of faith, God says, look, isn't this easy to believe? <laughs> so these signs, wonders, and various miracles, which God did. We just came out of the study of Exodus. And God did these signs, wonders, and miracles among the people that Egypt and Israel would know that he is God. Listen to Exodus 7, 3. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not see, even though I multiply signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. It's true, right? Like Pharaoh was clearly blind to the evidence. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 2, when preaching about Jesus, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. He was attested to you as the Christ by the signs, wonders that he did among you. It's true, too, of not just Jesus, but of the apostles who were eyewitnesses to Christ. Acts 2, 43. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The reader can be assured that the message of Christ, Jesus, is a trustworthy message. However, no amount of evidence, no amount of proof has ever convinced anyone to believe. Never convinced anyone to Christian faith. I hope you know, I hope you know that that's true. There's no amount of passionate argument to your red in the face that has ever persuaded a convert. The rich man thought there would be. You know the story in Luke 16, the rich man? He goes to hell. He's in torment. He's got family back here. And he says to Abraham, let me go back. I need to warn them. I need to tell them how to escape and not neglect the great salvation. And what does Abraham say to him? If they have not believed the scriptures, then also they will not believe a man back from the dead. He said, oh, that can't be true. If someone rose from the dead, everyone would believe. Yeah, just think for a second. There it is. Yeah. It's true. It wouldn't happen. If they won't believe the message said, declared, 
then evidence, miracles, isn't going to change that. When Peter confesses, what a great, what a great confession. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, who do you say I am? Oh, the Christ, the son of the living God. Beautiful. And what does Jesus say back to him? Finally, all this time together is paying off. <laughs> he does it. He says, Peter, you didn't believe that because you've seen all the stuff you've seen. My father revealed that to you. Signs, miracles, wondrous things. In Acts 2, when Peter's preaching, they hear the preaching of the Christ, and they say, I think those people are intoxicated. <laughs> That's, that was their response. He's drunk. Like, I can hear those men in my original language must be alcohol. <laughs> That's because no amount of signs and wonders will ever break the heart of stone. But there's more. There's more. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Lord has said it. It has been confirmed by eyewitnesses. Signs and wonders testify to its validity. But there's more gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The verification that Christ is the guarantor of a better covenant, administrator of a sure covenant, must be a gift from the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God testifying to us a gift for faith is not only an end of witnessing, it's a means of witnessing. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that sentence. The very fact that your heart is convinced that Christ is the great salvation which you cannot neglect is evidence that the Holy Spirit has gifted that faith to you. Salvation is of grace through faith. It is a gift. The antecedent of gift in Ephesians is grace and faith. It's not like grace was God's part and faith is your part and you guys cohabitate and, and work out salvation. Grace and faith, um, gift, has an antecedent. The antecedent goes back to both those things. They're both gifts. So the very fact that my dead heart believes that Christ, Jesus, is the great salvation is a testimony that the Holy Spirit has gifted me that belief. But that's not it. Then the Holy Spirit produces in me transformation. And by that fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit evangelizes to those who don't yet believe. So there is both the work of the Spirit in me to belief and through me to the belief of others. The Spirit of God. A gift of believing. Friend, do you hear the Spirit of God saying in the deepest murmurings of your own soul, don't neglect the great salvation of Jesus Christ? And in that moment, do you, do you have 
subtle objections. Like, well, I, yeah, I know, I know. I, I was raised in Christianity. I have Christian parents. I go to church all the time. I've heard this. And I know Jesus is that great salvation. And as long as I... Take your Bibles, please, to Galatians 3, verse 1. Galatians, chapter 3, and the first verse. A people who had heard the message of the Lord knew it was testified to by eyewitnesses knew that signs and wonders had been done to validate it, had once heard the beckoning of the Spirit of God, Paul confronts them in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, that's the warning, who has bewitched you? Who has taken the great salvation of Jesus Christ and poisoned it in your mind. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Rhetorical question. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, because that's the answer, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The evangelism of the Spirit of God in the, in the deepest murmurings in your soul says, don't neglect the great salvation that is in Jesus Christ. And are you right now saying, yes, I will, by the work of my flesh. Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul makes it clear that the believer begins with and continues by the sealing of the Holy Spirit, a ring of inheritance. Don't let it slip away. What we need, friends, is a maturing attention to the gospel particulars that will preserve our faith function. Are you paying close attention to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, like what I just read in Galatians 3. Are you paying close attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Or is the gospel of Jesus Christ somehow some kickstart of your faith that then requires a can-do attitude? So I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. Let me ask. Let me test that. How do you parent? How do you parent? I mean, does your child's sin affect you to a certain end? Like, like do you parent in a way that says, I need you to learn that your sin brings forth death. And I need you to feel the punishment of sin. Or, or do you parent in a way that is just such legal structure that your children are discipled in your home and leave and grace is a foreign concept to them? I'm saying that's Hebrews too. Pay attention to the close details. And you might say as a religious person in your heart, I, I, know, I know why, why you're getting so worked up. But what about the testimony of your function as a dad or mom? What about your marriage? If we were paying attention to the message we first received from the Lord, if we were growing in our understanding and in our applications of the details, our marriages wouldn't be where they are. Dad isn't allowed to dad because he was bad at it yesterday. You follow that? Guys, there are a bunch of us who feel like we can't do tomorrow what we should because we know how badly we did it yesterday. And that's a lie. And it's not paying attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know you did it bad yesterday. I know I did it bad yesterday. It doesn't disqualify you from tomorrow. You're called in Christ, to dad and to husband. And wives, oh, you have put yourself in a tough spot. You have made yourself vulnerable to the care of a person who stumbles in their own sin. And you've maybe been hurt by it. And you, you're reeling from it. And you're saying, this can't be great salvation. And I, I use those two as examples. They're, they're intimate, daily, difficult examples. Parenting and marriage. There's a myriad of applications. Your church? Your church? <laughs> I mean, okay, when we mess it up, when we mess it up, do you go, enough, I can't be around gospel people who make mistakes, I'm out. <laughs> like, come on, where's the great salvation message in that response? 
Is there any gospel grace? Is there any ongoing sanctification? You know what I'm saying. What I want to challenge you with is, friends, all of you who are so loved and known at IBC, you have this great spoken theology. I didn't preach anything to you that you were disagreeable today, or to today. You said, yeah, the great salvation is Jesus. What I want to pastorally shepherd you to is not what you speak theologically but what you do theologically i want to challenge you to what you do with gospel truth the details of the message of jesus christ how do you live it you live it like it's true or say it like it's true and live like you need something else he is the final word he is declared of god he is attested to by signs and wonders, and the true confession of Christ as our great salvation is a gift from the Spirit of God and faith. I got to the end, and I wrote this statement in closing. Lord, we believe. Please help our unbelief. Would we believe more in Christ than we had believed when we first sat down? Would we be prepared and equipped to think more convincingly by the Spirit of God about Christ as the great salvation? Let's pray. Father, what a good Father. To give us the words of life to shepherd us along like children. We believe and we stumble. We believe and we interact with each other like we don't. We believe and we doubt. How would we escape if we for a moment think that we can turn from in our own assurance of faith, in our own homes, in our own kingdom labor, in our own friendships, how would we escape destruction if we neglect the great salvation? So, Lord, uh, as a dad who warns, we hear your warning. Would you do the loving and faithful work of causing us to live and respond according to it? Thank you for your faithfulness. In Christ's name, we pray together. Amen.